Welcome, First Friends Church family. Today, Pastor Nathaniel is leading us through our end of summer series titled Summer in Psalms. We are so glad to have you tuning in because here at First Friends Church, we live to glorify God together by loving Him, making disciples, and proclaiming the gospel. One of the best ways to strengthen our faith is by diving into the Word of God together during our Sunday gatherings. So if you don't have a church family, we would love to have you join us. All there is to know as you plan your visit can be found at firstfriends.org. Now let's go to our lead pastor, Nathaniel, with this week's message. Good morning. Thank you. That was great. <laughs> I'm certain most of you are familiar with the expression, to wing it. It's used in situations in which one should have prepared for something. A test, a speaking engagement, a sermon, a conversation, but one did not. I don't start with that to imply that I'm winging it this morning, but rather to say that winging it is the opposite of preparing for it. I've had many nightmares, actually, about winging sermons. Being asleep um, and, and in my dream, uh, I suddenly realize it's Sunday morning, and not only do I suddenly realize it's Sunday morning, but I suddenly realize I'm walking up onto the stage, and I have this sudden realization, I have prepared nothing. <laughs> Can you imagine winging it when you have guests over for dinner? What are your plans for dinner tomorrow? Oh, I don't know. Let's just see what happens. Do we need to buy groceries? Nah. We can, we can see if we have anything in the fridge tomorrow when they get here, maybe check the garden. No, none of us do that. We get ready. We plan a menu. We buy the groceries. We may even contact the people that we've invited to come over, find out are there any dietary restrictions or strong dislikes or preferences. In short, we prepare. When David, the psalmist, describes God's care for his sheep, he stresses the idea that the shepherd intentionally prepares for his sheep. And we'll see today how the Good Shepherd prepares, what he prepares, and then how that preparation plays out in honor and abundance. The Great Shepherd, our Shepherd, never wings it. And the two verbs that the psalmist uses in verse 5 of Psalm 23 are prepare and anoint. So we'll be looking at these concepts through the lenses of those two verbs as we've done with the previous verses in Psalm 23. If you don't have a hard copy Bible with you this morning and you'd like to borrow one for the rest of the service to follow along, the ushers are coming back down the aisles now with some copies. Just catch their eye and they'll give you one. And as we say each week too, uh, maybe you don't own a copy of the Bible. And if you would like to, then just take this one, not just to borrow it, but as a gift and receive it as a gift from us here at First Friends Church. The book of Psalms is right in the middle of the Bible. And I'll be reading from Psalm 23, the entire Psalm once again. And I know we only have this Sunday and then next Sunday left in our series, but it's not too late to start memorizing the Psalm if you have not yet done so. And here's an encouragement to those of you who may be in the midst of memorizing it. I encourage you, keep going, keep going. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. 
He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The first verb in verse 5 is prepare. Preparing, as I intimated in the introduction, shows intentionality, it shows individual care, it reveals that the shepherd knows each individual sheep. To use that, that dinner illustration again, once in Brazil we had a couple over for, for dinner. We did not know them well, we were trying to get to know them, they were new at our church, we had them over, and Julie had prepared some wonderful pasta dish with stuffed shells and cheese and everything. Lactose intolerant. Um, didn't go well. He, he, I think he had salad. Um, the fact that, the point was, we didn't know them. So even though we had, we had made this preparation, Julia made this incredible preparation, it didn't really bless the person because we didn't know them. The fact that God prepares something for his people shows that he's intentional about us. He knows us. He cares about us and for us. He's aware of our unique needs and desires and simply the uniqueness of our being, right? Our hopes, our dreams, our situations. And, and once again, this is uh, an invitation to all sheep of the great shepherd to faith. Faith to follow the shepherd and remain near him through obedience and love. If he's preparing for us on our behalf, then our response is one of faith, to trust that he's actually doing that. But where and what the shepherd prepares is important. He prepares a table, and he prepares it in the presence of the enemies of his sheep. This is this prepared table. It's actually the central image of this psalm. And the use of the word table, the way the psalmist uses it here, it's a figure of speech. It's called metonymy in English. And metonymy is when a related word is used in place of the word itself. And I know that's a little confusing. Let me give you a, an illustration. Oftentimes, we use the term the White House in place of the president. So yesterday, the White House said that dot, dot, dot. No, the White House didn't say it, right? What do we mean by that? We mean the president did or the presidential leadership team did. So the shepherd's not actually preparing a, a table that's not the main point. The table is used in place of the food. The shepherd's preparing a meal, a feast for his sheep. And that's a description of the provision of the shepherd of daily regular needs of all sorts of his sheep. And this is a theme we've already seen even in the first four verses, how he makes us lie down in green pastures, and he leads his sheep beside quieted waters. So his, his provision is ongoing. But this picture of the table also starts to give us a glimpse of abundance. Like there's a lot that's coming. And it's a, a, a feast of great preparation on the part of the shepherd. And our shepherd not only provides for spiritual needs, which is something that we would expect when we're, we're thinking of God, who he himself is a spirit, 
but also physical and material needs. He provides for these needs. He prepares this table in the presence of the enemies of his sheep. In the ancient Near East, when a shepherd would lead his flock to a new pasture, and remember we talked about how pastures were, had to be intentionally gone to uh, in, in ancient Israel. It wasn't like Northeast Ohio where there's grass everywhere. The shepherd needed to know first of all, where the good pastures would be, and then on a daily basis lead his sheep to those pastures. But before allowing the sheep to graze, when a shepherd would would arrive at a pasturing area with his flock, he would walk through the pasture, looking closely at the ground, primarily in that context for two things. One was for any poisonous or harmful plants that could hurt the sheep. It's kind of like if you're going out to clear the area behind your shed in the backyard, uh, especially if you're taking little kids to help you, you might look very carefully if there's any poison ivy, right? Um, now, the other thing for which the shepherd would be attentive was for the, any holes, viper holes in the ground. Uh, snakes, and, and these relatively small but highly poisonous snakes lived in burrows in the ground, and a good shepherd would survey the pasture with great attention. And when he found these burrows, Um, One source I found uh, said that they would often pour a circle of heavy oil around the opening of the hole and allow that to to run down into the hole. The point being that because of the viper's smooth skin, um, that oil would not allow them to have enough friction to get out of the burrow, and they'd be stuck in there. And meanwhile, here's another reality um, about sheep and carrion birds. Crows, buzzards, other birds of prey were, would pose another danger to sheep. Um, sheep can't really defend themselves. And in particular, when sheep had fallen and they couldn't get up or they'd gotten trapped in a tight place, these carrion birds could descend and attack and, and they'd start with the eyes, you know, even while the sheep was still alive, before going on to literally eat the, the sheep piece by piece. So a good, attentive shepherd was always looking above and below. Above to drive off the birds and below to the welfare of his sheep. And he keeps the enemies of the sheep at bay. With a good shepherd, the sheep could then literally enjoy their pasture right in the presence of the enemies. And I imagine, you know, these vipers like peeking out of of the hole, just like desperate to get out. They just can't get at the sheep and the sheep are just munching along quietly there in the green pasture. Or the birds of prey circling overhead, desperate to attack, but the presence of the shepherd and his moving among the flock with his rod and staff would keep 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 the birds away. Now, I don't think it's any surprise to any of us that we live in a world of threat. And it's not always an impersonal threat either. Sometimes that threat can be deeply and intentionally personal. And there is an enemy of the sheep of the great shepherd who has committed himself to bring whatever destruction and harm and perversion he can against all who bear God's image. Peter, as we saw in in our study of, of his first letter, describes the devil the enemy of the church, the enemy of God, as a roaring lion, prowling around, right, seeking someone, seeking people, sheep, 
that the lion can devour. When Jesus sent his disciples out two by two, and the story is recounted in Matthew chapter 10, he told them specifically, he said, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. I'm sending you among enemies. I'm sending you into places of threat. Make no mistake that the system of the world is directly opposed to God, and therefore, by extension, to all sheep who belong to his flock. But there are other enemies as well with which we are far too often acquainted. Enemies that come from within. Threats like fear, anxiety, doubt, physical pain, grief. Maybe they're also a little bit more external, unemployment, financial need. But let's not be naive. We live minute by minute in the presence of these enemies. Both the evil spiritual system of the world and our own oftentimes inner turmoil or simply the enemies of circumstance. And it's important to note that David does not say, right, that the Lord removes those enemies. He doesn't say he prepares a table before us and clears out all the enemies. It's in the presence of the enemies. His provision for his sheep takes place with the enemies looking on, watching. And that's a remarkable picture of the power of the shepherd to keep those enemies at bay. That's also the promise. Our great shepherd provides for us right there, and he is able not only to save us, but to preserve us, to keep us safe in the presence of our enemies. And he even sends us among these enemies, even as the shepherd might lead his flock into a field that had viper holes, but because of the work and the presence and the power of the shepherd, the sheep did not need to fear, and those enemies were no longer a threat. And the shepherd sends us today um, among enemies. They're where we live, they're where we work, they're where we form our families. And he puts us near people to influence, to witness, to be salt and light. So no matter how evil your coworker may be or appear to be, no matter how unjust your boss is, no matter how much threat there may be around you, here's the key. If you are close to the shepherd, he will prepare his provision for you right where he's placed you. Our desire is usually that the enemies would disappear and go away. Sometimes the shepherd does that. That can happen. It's definitely not beyond his power. But the image that he gives us in Psalm 23 is that it's in the presence of those, image, of those enemies rather, that his provision comes to his sheep. So a, a challenge for us really is to look for the provision rather than looking at the enemies. Because we're really good at rehearsing all the enemies. In our, we go over and over and over them in our mind. We're very, very aware of the threats. But what I, and I'm, I can speak personally, what I often fail to do is intentionally stop and say, okay, wait, let me take a minute. I'm so aware of the enemies, external and internal, but now 
God, how have you provided for me in the presence of these enemies? What have you prepared for me? Show me that table. Help me remember it. Because usually that, that, that preparation and that provision comes. But I'm so focused on the enemies that I don't even realize it. So, Lord, how have you prepared for us? Show us. Forgive us for being blind um, often to your provision, to this table, this feast that you've prepared for us here in the presence of our enemies. The second verb in this verse is the verb anoint. The shepherd anoints his sheep. And that word anoints carries connotations of honor and purpose and healing. It's not the word we would normally associate with sheep. We might think it more right to say something like, he puts oil on my head or he soothes my head with oil, but anoints? That's a strange word. When someone in the Old Testament was anointed, it was a sign of both honor and calling, right? So when David himself, the man who wrote this psalm, when the prophet Samuel anointed him, that anointing honored David, and it brought him out, it made him stand out from among his peers and even his family and his brothers, but it honored him for a purpose and a responsibility to be king. Ancient shepherds used an oil mixture on their sheep for two reasons. One was to repel biting flies and insects. In Brazil, at many of the best and nicest beaches, there is an infestation of these flies called bojachudos. You don't have to remember that. They are the most miserable thing. Uh, and they bite, and the bites are painful, and, and where they bite, most people develop really angry-looking red welts. So people who are true lovers of the beach, they just know that's what they're going to face. And they don't care. They're like, yep, they're going to be there. We're going anyway. There are many different concoctions that different people claim will repel these bojachudos. So far, I've not heard of any that truly work other than full armor. But I do imagine often how welcome that oil would be if it really truly kept those biting flies away. So if you think about a sheep, most of that animal is covered with thick wool that would protect it naturally from these biting insects. But the head, right, the horns and the face were exposed. So that's where the sheep would be vulnerable, right? So it would make sense that if the shepherd had something that could ward off these flies and insects, that it would be placed on the sheep's head. That was the place of vulnerability. Now, secondly, various oil mixtures were also used for healing, like soothing balms for cuts or scrapes, bites or abrasions, other injuries. So again, we, we get this very tender picture of the great shepherd. He protects his sheep, so there's that step of the oil protecting them, but then also a picture of the shepherd working to heal his sheep. Now, there's a further image here as well for those of us who belong 
to the flock of the Almighty God. Through the whole range and arc of Scripture, oil is consistently used, and not only in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament as well, oil is consistently used as an image of the Holy Spirit. The great shepherd, God Almighty, has anointed his sheep, his people, with the presence and life of his very spirit. Is there, could there be, any greater honor than that? So, a few months ago, I described uh, to you this experience that we had in, in Brazil where the American ambassador actually came to our home. And he was only there for a couple hours. But I tell you, you know, our reputation and our notoriety in our whole closed condominium where we lived, we lived in a, a condominium of four 27-story buildings, um, two apartments per floor, so a lot of people. And word got around that the American ambassador had come to apartment 118. It was kind of a big deal. His presence honored us. We didn't do anything. I think, he, I think all he had was water. He even offered him coffee. He didn't even take that. So when we, we, we take the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives far too lightly, but that God himself would actually live inside his creation. What incredible honor. The shepherd anoints his sheep with his spirit. That God would so love and so care for us and be so aware of our frailty and the constant danger in which we live that he covers and fills us with his spirit to protect, to redeem, to sanctify, to renew, to guide, to comfort, to empower, to live through us. And this anointing, as I said, honors us. But remember what David, when he was anointed, it honored him, yes, but it also honored him and called him for a purpose. So the anointing of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer, in the life of a sheep, of the flock of the great shepherd, that's also a purpose and a calling of acting as God's representatives and ambassadors here on earth. And then also his anointing brings us his healing. As a direct result of the shepherd's preparation and anointing, what happens? The sheep's cup is said to overflow. Now again, the whole image of a cup seems odd when we're talking about sheep. But I want us to note, first of all, that this is a result. So the psalmist is not introducing a new verb here relating to the shepherd and his sheep. He's showing an effect after a cause. The cause is the shepherd preparing a table for his sheep, meeting the sheep's daily needs, and the shepherd's anointing of the sheep. And the result of these actions is that the cup of the sheep overflows. In modern-day Israel, as was true in ancient years as well, there are no freshwater rivers 
other than the Jordan River itself. And because, if you recall, I don't know how, how good your Holy Land geography is, but the, the Jordan River runs from the Sea of Galilee in the north into the Dead Sea in the south. Part of the reason that the Dead Sea is the Dead Sea is because the Jordan River, as it travels through that, the length of the land, it um, picks up all kinds of minerals and salts and deposits them into the, the, Red, I'm sorry, the Dead Sea. So from just a few miles south of the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River isn't really very useful anymore for irrigation or for, for crops and even for drinking. So we have these sheep in a land with few options, natural options, to fresh water. No freshwater rivers, especially not in the dry season. So the shepherds in ancient Israel had to rely on wells. And you might recall from the Old Testament certain times where specific people had, were asked to water flocks or water camels or water sheep, and, and they were always at a well. So near the wells were some oftentimes medium-sized stones that had a part hollowed out on top into which the shepherd would pour water and the sheep would drink from that hollowed out stone. There were also troughs that were used, but in this particular case, David's alluding to these hollowed out stones. It was a laborious and exhausting task. So some estimates say that for a flock of, of 50 sheep, it could have taken up to two hours for a shepherd to water them all. Over and over and over and over, drawing that skin of water up and then pouring it into the cups, then dropping it back down, then pulling it back up. But that's the image of God, our shepherd. Now, a lazy shepherd would draw as little water as possible, right? What's, that's, yeah might even be me from time to time. So what, what is the least amount of work that I need to do just to make sure that these sheep don't die on me? So we have this image or this idea of scarcity, right? So the, the, this shepherd is begrudging. The shepherd is lazy. So he's, you know, dropping the least amount of water into these cups, into these hollowed out stones as possible. Is that the image that we're given of our heavenly father and heavenly shepherd? No. When he is watering his sheep, their cups overflow. And water is so scarce in the ancient Near East. Again, remember this. So in, in one sense, this is a wasteful image, we would say from a human perspective. Wait, you're, you're making overflow. It's just going down into the sand, into the dirt. It's being wasted. But that's the incredible abundance of the provision of the shepherd for his sheep. Their cups overflow. They have more than enough. So much it's running over the side and yes, down into the dirt. And even so, the shepherd keeps pouring water into their cups. God, the shepherd, is not miserly with his blessings and with his provision. Ah, yes, but then we always get to this point where we hear these wonderful things about the shepherd and then we look at our own lives. And we say, quite honestly, I'm, I don't experience abundance right now. My cup certainly doesn't overflow. 
I'm unemployed, my relationships are falling apart, and the stress I feel daily is overwhelming. The only, only cup that's overflowing in my life is the cup of suffering, or the cup of frustration, or the cup of emptiness. I think it should be comforting to us to know that David, the man who wrote this psalm, often felt like that as well. And we see it in psalms that he wrote. Reading his other psalms, you will see that he suffered too. And David kind of, he really suffered the gamut because he suffered unjustly, but then he also suffered justly, meaning he suffered as a result of his own perversion and his own sin as well. So from this sense, we can say David experienced it all. He was an outlaw on the run for over 10 years, living in caves and rocks in the wilderness, entirely unjust. But then he sinned deeply once he became king. You know the story, his entire family fell apart. He had to flee his own palace, his own capital city, and live as a fugitive from his own sons to the very end of his life. His sons were at each other's throats. One son commits incestuous rape, and two try to steal the kingship from their father. And in Psalm 32, David says these words about his own sin. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. That does not sound like abundance. But even in this suffering, and even in the consequences for his sin, David could still affirm, and this is the part that's sometimes very hard for us to accept and to live into, David could affirm that his cup of blessing overflowed. My cup overflows. So let's remember the context here in Psalm 23. David has just spoken of the anointing with oil, the symbol of the Holy Spirit of God. If you are a sheep of the great shepherd, so if you belong to the flock of God, just the fact alone that you are his is a sign of abundance. In the face of human pain and suffering, which is so very real, we often lose sight of the invisible yet equally real, eternal, never-ending blessings given to us by the shepherd. And we start with the presence of his spirit in our lives. That God would put his own spirit to live in us individually and corporately as his church and as his flock. So if you're a sheep of the great shepherd, you have been redeemed and saved from certain eternal death. Not just death, but eternal torment. You've been adopted as a full child, a full heir of God. You bear his name. You are his heir. Your sins have been fully forgiven, and his very spirit lives in you and through you. And while we do face, in in many sense, an, an earthly scarcity in different seasons of our lives, the abundant reality of what the shepherd has done and who the shepherd is is always a truth that, 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 that causes our symbolic cups to overflow.
Because there's always more of him. And there's always more of him that he is pouring into our lives. Always more. Always more. So the shepherd doesn't deny pain. The shepherd doesn't deny scarcity. The the shepherd doesn't deny fear. The shepherd doesn't deny that there's anxiety. Again, the shepherd doesn't deny that we have enemies, right? He doesn't say there are no enemies. They're all figments of your imagination. But he does say, I'm preparing a table before you, for you, right in front of those enemies. And all they can do is watch. All they can do is watch. They may even growl like that roaring lion. They may even try to threaten you, but the, but the God, the shepherd of the sheep, holds them at bay. And right there, his provision and his abundance is poured out on his sheep. And this abundance is eternal. We have a very, very limited perspective. And so we're looking at this part of our lives, you know, this season that we're spending here on earth, which is a minuscule proportion of reality. We get so, we, get, we do get so weighed down, though, that we just can't picture and can't remember everything else that's coming and all that he is who is already here with us. So there are three applications that I would really like us to take away from this this morning. There are many others, and if God speaks to you in a different way, please take that too. Don't just say, well, Nathaniel only said three, so whatever the Lord is doing, however the Holy Spirit is working in you and speaking to you through this passage, take it. The first is this. We need to cultivate thankfulness for the blessings of the shepherd that we've already received and even for those that are yet to come. And I say this again, and this is nothing, this, I know this is nothing new, but the natural bent of our human nature is to focus on what we do not have. Or to go back to verse one, to focus on what we perceive that we lack. But because that's our natural bent, unless we intentionally combat that, by rehearsing that for which we are grateful and rehearsing the blessings of the shepherd, then we will always fall into the rut of ingratitude and scarcity. The presence and work of God calls us to be thankful because no matter our state, our cup overflows with his work. I think I've mentioned before that There have been a few times in my life that friends of mine, friends of our family, uh, purchased airplane tickets for me. Um, Usually it was traveling from the U.S. to Brazil or vice versa. And um, there's this one particular friend of our family who has many, 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 many miles. And there were times that she bought tickets for me and they were first class. Exactly. (laughs) But I want to tell you, you know, confess to you a couple things about myself. It was a round-trip ticket. And, And even as I was reveling in that, you know, at least for me, perceived luxury, you know, um, 
flight attendants that actually acted as though they wanted me on the plane. And um, I mean, I'm sure they were faking it, but you know, they were, that's what, and options for dinner and a dinner of several courses that actually looked, smelled, and tasted like food, like good food. And you know, a seat that goes absolutely flat into a bed and just, uh, you know, people catering to every whim and comfort and everything else. It's like, I, I didn't even want to sleep. I know the thing went flat, but I was like, I don't want to sleep. I can sleep. I'm going to sleep the rest of my life. I, you know, I want to stay awake and, and take advantage of everything. I, Would you like this or absolutely I want this? What is it? You know, I'll take it. But, but even, even, in that, even during that flight, and I'm, I'm being honest about this, that, that first time I remember, even then, I was already in my heart a little grudging. Because you know what I was thinking about? Going back to economy. <laughs> so even though I was enjoying first class so much, there was like, I gotta go, I'm, I'm gonna have to go back to economy. You know, this isn't real. <laughs> this is all an illusion. It's coming to an end. So that inevitable day did come, that return to economy. And economy was all I had remembered it to be. (laughs) The difference was I now knew how the other 1% lived or flew. And I I remember sitting in in that seat, seat, you know, that reclines, I think it's hilarious, you know, they, they describe a one-inch movement as reclining, you know. <laughs> but, but being, rather than, than having an attitude of like, that was incredible, God, that you gave me that gift of enjoying that one round trip ticket in first class, I was sitting there just bitter. And I also, and then the Holy Spirit convicted me a little further because this thought came to my mind, do you know how many people wish that they might be able to travel internationally fairly regularly um, and that many of them would be more than grateful for an economy ticket? And I realized again that my, my own sinful tendency to focus on everything that I don't have or on everything that I could have rather than honestly assessing everything that God has given and done and provided. So this week, a challenge to you is to cultivate a spirit of thankfulness, and that only happens intentionally. And I know that, again, our tendency, what is our tendency? Our tendency is, well, when something big happens that's worth being thankful for, I'll be thankful for it. But that attitude keeps us from remembering everything that we already have. Practical suggestion, make a list and be intentional. Write it down, put it into your phone. Keep that list close by. Here's another suggestion. Every time you pray this week, whether it's a sh- one of those short arrow prayers, you know, of desperation. Um, start by thanking God for at least one thing. If nothing else, that he exists for you to pray to him. The second application that, that I'd like us to take away today is, kind of comes in the form of a question. 
Why does the shepherd care for, honor, prepare a table for his sheep, provide for our needs, anoint us and give us his spirit? Why does he do all these things? And this is going to relate back to the first application of gratitude. Why does he do this? There's only one reason. Because we belong to him. There's no other reason. It has nothing to do with the fact that we deserve this kind of treatment or that we've earned it. I mean, we can't buy it. We can't deserve it. We can only rest in it and be grateful for it. The shepherd loves his sheep. God loves his children. There's no other explanation for that. He pours out his abundance. He pours out himself because he loves us. Not because we're good, not because we try hard, not because we earn it, but because he is who he is, and we're his sheep, we're his children. And the third application is uh, another invitation you've been hearing throughout this series, stay near the shepherd. You see, we, we, we can't earn or deserve the shepherd's blessings, but we can reject the shepherd's blessings. And the way we reject his blessings is by fleeing from him or running away from him. You remember this image of the table that's prepared in the presence of enemies. When the sheep is close to the shepherd, the shepherd is providing that perimeter, right? He's walked that pasture. He's keeping an eye on the sky. But when the sheep says, you know, I don't like this pasture. I'm going to a different one. I'm going off to one on my own. They leave the protection of the shepherd. It's not that the shepherd doesn't care, doesn't love them, doesn't provide. And we can often do that. You, you all know we do this. We have that tendency. We do it through sin. We do it through believing lies. We do it simply by becoming distracted and incredibly self-focused. Um, so we become so focused on whether it's our job or our family or our own needs or our own enemies, right? That we, that we just drift and we wander, and before we know it, we kind of have this startling moment where we look around and we're like, I don't recognize this pasture. Where's the shepherd? So this morning, it's an invitation that we keep issuing, but to return to the shepherd, if you notice this morning, I've, I have wandered, I have drifted, maybe unintentionally, perhaps intentionally, but I have. It's an opportunity to come back, repent, return, embrace the shepherd, and say, oh, God, thank you for, for your provision. Thank you for your abundance. Thank you for loving me just because I belong to you. So as we continue to, to worship, we will, the, the altars are open. We, I know I say this each week. I want to reaffirm that. And if you want to come, it, it may be, maybe it's related to something from the sermon this morning. Maybe it's not. Maybe there's something else you want to bring to the shepherd. But please come. For his care can be coming in gratitude. Maybe it's an act of returning to the shepherd. But if you would like someone to pray with you or over you, maybe there's a specific need you have, you can come to this side and one of our prayer ministers will join you there. On the other hand, if you prefer to come and simply worship and pray and be with the shepherd alone, uh, you can come to this side. No one will interrupt you and we'll respect that. Let's stand together and let's worship our shepherd. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. One way you can connect further with First Friends Church is through our website, firstfriends.org. 
There, you can learn about our equip groups as well as our upcoming events for all ages. On Sundays, we gather at 9 and 10.30 a.m., and we'd love to see you there. Have a great week!